what evidence of a crime do you have? I mean, abuse of power is not a crime. Jesus. And that guy was the former acting attorney general? Of the United States. Oi. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From with Pacifica you. Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, in Palinville, New York on WLPP. Up in Grand Rapids on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, in Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ, Seattle's KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF, along with other fine terrestrial affiliates. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Um, I'm excited about our guest. Over the past week or so, amidst the chaos surrounding the intensifying impeachment inquiry of Donald J. Trump, there have been a number of related issues that have caught my eye and my interest as they have to do with the way our campaign finance and election laws are enforced or too often not enforced in this country. While uh, some of these issues have not received the attention of Donald Trump's attempts to strong arm the nation of Ukraine for dirt on Joe Biden and on the unfounded conspiracy concerning Ukraine's involvement in the 2016 election, supposedly on behalf of Hillary Clinton. Uh, these issues regarding the way our federal campaigns are shamefully run, largely at the behest of big donors who use dark money to buy influence in the post Citizens United era. Uh, And the way that enforcement of whatever existing campaign finance laws that we have left, this goes completely ignored by a partisan deadlocked federal elections commission, at least when it even has a quorum to vote on enforcement matters, which it does not currently, even as we head into arguably the most critical presidential election year in the history of this nation. Now, We spoke a few days ago with Brendan Fisher of the Campaign Legal Center about the complaint that his organization filed more than a year and a half ago regarding the curious donations of hundreds of thousands of dollars made to Republican candidates and super PACs like Donald Trump's America First Action PAC 
Donations made by two associates of Rudy Giuliani, Donald Trump's personal lawyer. Those two Soviet-born Ukrainian-Americans, Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman, were dram- they were dramatically arrested just over a week or so ago with one-way tickets to Vienna, and they were charged by federal prosecutors for making illegal straw donations to political groups and lying to the FEC about the still largely unknown real source of those donations, which is what the Campaign Legal Center tried to alert the FEC to uh, about well, well, well over a year ago at this point. At the same time, this week, Pima Levy over at Mother Jones cites evidence related, uh, I'm sorry, released by Democratic Minnesota Senator and 2020 presidential candidate Amy Klobuchar, indicating that the Justice Department buried the whistleblower complaint about President Donald Trump's call with the Ukrainian president by failing to refer the matter to the Federal Elections Commission, the FEC, in violation of a longstanding agreement between those two agencies to share information about possible campaign finance violations for potential enforcement action. So the evidence uh, put forward by Klobuchar is that the whistleblower complaint at the heart of the impeachment inquiry did not just contain evidence that the president pressured a foreign government to help him win re-election. It also contained evidence of a potential campaign finance violation because when President Trump asked for dirt on his political opponent, he illegally solicited a thing of value from a foreign national. That's against the law. And yet Trump's attorney general, Bill Barr, failed to report that matter to the FEC as required by that longstanding memo of understanding between the two federal agencies. Now, while the impeachment and potential removal of a president of the United States on charges of high crimes and misdemeanors is certainly of huge importance, so are these other matters, which are receiving far less attention, uh, if only because no matter what happens with Donald Trump and his presidency, these systemic concerns about our woeful campaign finance system will continue to plague our republic in 2020 and well beyond any presidency of Donald Trump unless something is done. Something is done to reform our woeful campaign finance system. In hopes of trying to make sense of all of these matters, I thought we could use someone here who understands federal campaign finance laws Uh, And as importantly, someone who understands the arguably broken Federal Elections Commission, someone, say, like an actual FEC commissioner and former chair. Ann Ravel has been a lifelong public servant serving as the Santa Clara County, California Council and a deputy assistant attorney general in the Obama administration. She chaired the Fair Political Practices Commission in California. That's essentially our state's nonpartisan FEC, but one that actually works a little bit better and has a few more responsibilities overseeing and regulating campaign financing, conflicts of interest, lobbying and governmental ethics. And all of that was before she was appointed to the Federal Elections Commission by President Barack Obama. During her tenure as one of three Democrats on the six-person board, Ravel sounded the alarm, or certainly tried to, 
about the influence of money and politics and the FEC's seemingly unbreakable partisan gridlock on the panel, which, at least when it's fully seated, features three Democrats and three Republican appointees. Ravel retired from that post in February of 2017, just after the inauguration of Donald Trump in abrupt and dramatic fashion, according to the Mercury News, declaring in a public resignation letter that the Federal Election Commission is on a gridlocked road to nowhere. Her resignation letter posted to Twitter at the time, declared the mission of the FEC is essential to ensuring a fair electoral process. Yet, since the Supreme Court's United, uh, Citizens United decision, our political campaigns have been awash in unlimited, often dark money. At the same time, she writes, elections have become more and more expensive. Most of the funding comes from a tiny highly unrepresentative segment of the population. Many of these same concerns have been voiced by Americans of all political views who are angry at the disproportionate influence of big money on government policy. She writes that at least 87 percent of Americans, including more than 80 percent of people in both major parties, favor changes to our campaign finance laws so that wealth does not dictate political influence. And all of that was before we would learn what we would eventually learn about things like Lev and Igor, uh, not to mention porn star Stormy Daniels. In uh, Anne Ravel's uh, re public resignation letter, she went on to urge the president to prioritize campaign finance reform by strengthening disclosure laws, reexamining the, quote, mistaken jurisprudence of Citizens United. She called for public financing of elections to, quote, reduce reliance on the wealthy and for the appointment of commissioners to the FEC who will carry out the mandates of the law. Now, there's a good idea. I'm not sure, but I don't think we've seen any of those things in the more than two and a half years since Ravel has stepped down. But now she is stepping up again, making her own very first run at elected office herself, seeking the Democratic nomination for the state Senate in California's 15th district, which comprises the San Jose area in the northern California Bay Area and where her campaign website, Ravel4CA.com, declares that she is running as a, quote, champion for ethics, equality, and a fair economy. Well, those all sound good. And Ravel, I have admired your outspoken and important voice on the FEC for many years, and it's a great honor to finally have you here on, uh, on the broadcast today. Thank you. It's a great pleasure to be here. Uh, I've got a lot to discuss with you on all of these matters, but I know you're in the San Jose area in uh, Northern California, which is facing potential preemptive PG&E power outages uh, with these hot and windy conditions and, and uh, the high potential for wildfires. Are, are you and your family doing okay, staying away from the fires and, and well prepared for power outages right about now, Ann? Uh, well, we are prepared now. We finally got some flashlights. The last power outage was kind of sprung on us in the middle of the night when mm -hmm. everyone was asleep. Oh, so we had no preparation whatsoever. Uh, but now we, we are going to deal with it. The problem, of course, for everyone is what do you do about food? If you don't have a generator, mm -hmm. it's, it's really problematic. Worse for people who need to have medicine that's kept refrigerated, but um, 
it's it's a problem when all the restaurants are out as well. Yeah. Uh, it, it, yesterday, uh, or actually on Thursday, Governor Gavin Newsom sort of blasted PG&E uh, for these preemptive power outages. Uh, they bankrupt PG&E, by the way, because they failed to maintain or bury their power lines for years, despite the known threats of global warming and increased fire danger. Uh, Governor Newsom blasted PG&E, PG&E on Thursday as a shameful case of, quote, dog-eat-dog capitalism and corporate greed meeting climate change. Uh, your thoughts on those pretty strong comments from the governor? Well, I think that many of us in the Bay Area tend to agree with the governor because we know um, there have been numerous problems, including the San Bruno explosion, which the courts have Mm -hmm. said was criminal in its um, execution Mm -hmm. uh, and what PG&E did. And many of us believe that PG&E could have, instead of spending the large amounts of money that they were willing to give to their high-level executive employees, that they might have spent some time working on power lines and assuring that they were safe. Understandably, there's lots of power lines throughout the state, Mm -hmm. so it's a monumental task, but they failed to even do the smallest amount of work. Should, should the t- state just take, I mean, pg and is in bankruptcy, should the state just take over PG&E at this point, Ann Ravel? You know, I, I know a lot of local entities are also looking at taking over. I know they're talking about it in San Jose and some other local entities already have. The problem is, of course, that uh, then the state itself will uh, inherit thousands of miles mm-hmm. of um, power lines, and and many of them are in areas that are um, not easy to access, mm-hmm. and those are the ones where the problems are greater. But uh, it, it may be um, a good solution to have the state, which has supposedly, and we, I believe it does, the interest of the public at heart as opposed to a company that is beholden to its stockholders to make money. Yeah. And we know that PG&E is publicly traded, and as a result, they view their obligation not to the public, but to those stockholders. Yeah, and that seems to be at the heart of the problem, as the governor pointed out. Uh, on to some of these uh, FEC-related matters that I've been dying to talk to you about for some time. Uh, mm-hmm. former, former Acting Attorney General Matt Whitaker appeared on Fox News this week to declare that there is no crime at the heart of the allegations that the Trump administration withheld nearly $400 uh, million in military aid uh, from Ukraine in exchange for an investigation seeking dirt on Joe Biden in the 2016 election. Here's part of his comment to Fox News' Laura Ingram, and I want to get your thoughts on this. I'm a former prosecutor, and what I know is this is a perfect time for a preliminary hearing where you would say, show us your evidence. What evidence of a crime do you have? I mean, the Constitution, you know, sort of abuse of power is not a crime. Let's fundamentally boil it down to, you know, the, the Constitution is very clear that this has to be some pretty egregious behavior. 
And they cannot tell the American people what this case is even about. Right. So that was the uh, former acting <laughs> attorney general. Now, never mind that articles of impeachment for both Richard Nixon and Bill Clinton included abuse of power as part of those uh, right. charges. But wasn't there another crime at the heart of the Trump administration's attempt to strong arm Ukraine uh, into committing to investigations of the Bidens in the 2016 election? There is no question whatsoever that there was a crime at the heart of this. And I'm appalled, having also been at the Department of Justice mm -hmm. at the beginning of the Obama administration, what has become of a department that is supposed to be doing justice for the people when Mr. Whitaker is saying what he's saying. It, campaign finance violations can be a crime when they are done knowingly and willfully. And we know, based on all the information that has already been produced publicly, that these were knowing and willful, intentional acts done in order to receive a thing of value in, on behalf of the campaign for President Trump. Because clearly, he would not be investigating a political appoint, uh, uh, opponent mm -hmm. and doing such um, uh, requests unless it had been for the purpose of his own campaign. It had nothing to do with national security. So that in and of itself is a campaign finance violation, and it's a criminal violation. The FEC has authority over civil violations, mm -hmm. not criminal. Um, but for him to say that on its face it was not, actually that is the kind of thing that the Department of Justice should be investigating and prosecuting. So that's a clear uh, crime, soliciting a thing of value from a foreign entity. So if that is still, in right. fact, a crime, uh, at least according to the statutes on the books, uh, what then is your response to the fact that the DOJ appears, uh, after receiving and reviewing this whistleblower complaint, that they appear to have failed to refer that serious campaign finance violation to the FEC? Does, does such a memorandum of understanding even still exist between the DOJ and FEC that would require them to do so? Well, that was the general understanding that always um, was the, the principles that we operated by at the FEC was that the Department of Justice would have independent authority to handle criminal matters. Mm -hmm. But if they determine that they will not go forward on such a matter, then they will notify the Federal Election Commission so that they could pursue it as a serious and willful matter, but from a civil perspective. But Bill Barr did not do that in this case. Is that uh, no? Is that is that a requirement? Is it just an understanding? Is there a potential violation of law in in the DOJ's failure to uh, make the re that referral to the FEC here? Well, I, I don't think that you could argue that um, Barr is going to be subjected to any civil sanctions uh, because it is through the understandings between the agencies mm -hmm. that this was going to occur. Um, on the other hand, uh, when you understand that your role as the uh, 
attorney general mm-hmm. is to enforce the laws of the United States and also to assure that other agencies that have authority are given an opportunity if the Department of Justice does not want to pursue it, to pursue it under the law. That is um, I, that is a, a violation of their obligations. It is definitely not a criminal or, or something that, that he could be sanctioned for, though. But no. He's just uh, not not doing his job as an AG. Well, he's busy with other things like investigating yeah. his own DOJ, apparently. <laughs> uh, uh, right. And, that? and Ravel, let's say that the FEC was given that referral uh, by the DOJ that uh, Donald Trump th- sought a thing of value from a, uh, a foreign entity for use in his campaign in violation of the law. As I understand it, the FEC does not currently even have a quorum of commissioners. Uh, I think there are now only uh, three seated commissioners instead of the minimum four needed to take a vote. Is that is that correct? That is that's correct. So had they given that referral, what could the FEC even do with such a complaint uh, if they had received one at this point? Well, it is true that they could not have done anything because the internal regulations and internal um, understandings for the FEC are that it takes four members just to meet, Mm -hmm. and in most um, circumstances, there need to be four votes in order to initiate an investigation. However, the difference is, had it been referred as a complaint, that would begin the statute of limitations, and there is a five-year statute, Mm. so at some point, assuming there are other commissioners appointed ever by either uh, the Senate, by McConnell, uh, or the uh, Democratic minority leader, Mm -hmm. and assuming that uh, the president makes the nominations, it could, in the coming five years, actually take some action. Uh Obviously, not as good as doing it concurrently with the behavior, but it's at least an indication that there's going to be some consequence to illegal behavior. At least least somebody's uh, put on notice, and uh, if we can, within the next five years, somehow try to unbreak the uh, current broken FEC. Um, Correct. I need to take a quick break here. Anne Ravel, uh, I want to come back and ask you about Lev and Igor. Uh, oh, and about porn. So stand by for that uh, and uh, various ways to reform the FEC and why the hell you're running for state Senate. Sit tight. Anne Ravel, former chair of the FEC. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your broadcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free broadcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. 
You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us out today. Do you know the way to San Jose? I've been away so long. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. I'll bet my guest Ann Ravel knows the way to San Jose. She's actually in San Jose where she is running for the uh, Democratic nomination to uh, become the next state senator from District 15, which is, in fact, San Jose. But Anne Ravel is perhaps better known as now the former Federal Elections Commission chair. We spoke in the last segment, Anne, about um, the the crime, the very real crime that is at the heart of this Ukraine matter with uh, Donald Trump actually seeking a thing of value, specifically dirt on Joe Biden and the Democrats. Uh, for his uh, 2020 campaign that is at the center of his uh, impeachment inquiry right now. But uh, somewhat as disturbing, at least to me, because this actually affects a lot of campaigns above and beyond the presidency. I I mentioned these two MOOCs, uh, Lev uh, Parnas and Igor Fruman, associates of Rudy Giuliani's who were arrested at JFK recently with one-way tickets to Vienna after they'd Uh, given more than $300,000 to Donald Trump's campaign super PAC and $20,000 to Congressman Pete Sessions reportedly uh, after meeting with him, which led Sessions to call the White House and push the White House to fire the U.S. ambassador to the uh, to uh, Ukraine, Marie Yovanovitch, on, uh, pardon me, trumped up charges. Uh, that the longtime career civil servant was somehow uh, an anti-Trumper. This influence campaign essentially um, bought not just access to the White House for these two guys, but arguably bought their way to influencing U.S. foreign policy itself. Uh, is, is that how you see what they were able to do with these various with what we know about their, their various campaign uh, uh, donations with uh, just a few hundred thousand dollars in donations to the right Republicans? Yes, I absolutely agree with you. That is how you see it. And that's one of the reasons why we have the laws that go back for many generations, um, including at the time of the founding of this country, that there was a fear of having foreign influence in our elections. And that is because we do not have the same interests that foreign governments or foreign individuals have in our country, Mm -hmm. and having them have that influence is going to undermine the democracy. And that's what we've seen. Well, we don't know where the, I I don't think we know conclusively yet, the source of the uh, funding that uh, Lev and Igor were using to pay off these campaigns. But what was even more troubling to me about this, Anne Ravel, uh, as we discussed uh, in my recent interview with the uh, Campaign Legal Center's Brendan Fisher, is that the influence campaign itself 
does not actually appear to be unlawful. They were charged with hiding the source of those funds. It wasn't their own money, in other words, and uh, mm-hmm. lying about it to the FEC. But had these been rich guys uh, essentially using their own money, this would all have been perfectly legal? Is, is, that, is that right? Is that even possible? No, because they are foreign-born. They're not American citizens, and they're not American. They're not here on a residence green card. Actually, I, actually, I think they are foreign. foreign. I think they are. They? Yeah, I think they're foreign-born, but they. I believe they are American citizens. Actually, so oh, these were. were yes. I, I, I didn't know where I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, these were citizens, yeah, well, and they hid who the real source of the funding was. But they were citizens, as I understand it. They were entitled to give this money, at least had it been their own. Right. Well, if that's the case, then that is true. They would have been entitled to give that money, and that is a whole other problem with our campaign finance system. But I think part of what happens when people are used as conduit Mm -hmm. is, of course, you will never know the true source. In this case, perhaps because of the criminal violations, maybe we will ultimately know the true source Mm -hmm. of the contributions. But that, too, is one basic principle of campaign finance law, which is that disclosure of where the money comes from is intended uh, to balance out uh, the other First Amendment interests because of the importance for the public of knowing who's contributing to campaigns and trying to influence elections. But in this case, you had these two guys, Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it was... Uh, disclosed that they had given this money, and again, it it, it only became clear later, uh, thanks to the work of the Campaign Legal Center and so forth, that they uh, lied about the source of that funding. But right, what they did, uh, you know, it, had it been their money and had it been disclosed as it was, I mean, that seems like it would have been illegal. It seems like it would it, it would be, I'm sorry, legal to actually legal. buy yeah. their way into influencing foreign and and presumably domestic policy under our existing laws that seem to allow, you know, $300,000 to a super PAC. I mean, how do we how do we right. fix that problem? Yes. Well, that problem uh will only be fixed uh if there is a uh different Supreme Court because this Supreme Court, and it's not just Citizens United that everybody talks about, mm-hmm. but um, subsequent cases, Speech Now, others, mm-hmm. that essentially hold that the only basis for campaign finance regulations of, of the sort that, that we're familiar with is to uh, combat corruption and essentially quid pro quo corruption. And the view is that if Um, individuals are giving money or corporations independently of the candidate, that cannot be corrupting. And because of that decision, uh, people can give unlimited sums of money, hard to know what the source is because of the way the system is now running. And as a result of that, uh, they are spending more money independently in elections than 
actual donors who are giving money directly to the candidates. I've got an announcement here. I, I, I don't know if you've seen this yet because this was just today, but an announcement from uh, Citizens for Ethics and Responsibility in Washington, otherwise known as CREW. Mm-hmm. Uh, CREW. Yeah, uh, crowing about what they describe as a, quote, historic victory against dark money, in this case because they finally forced a group calling itself Americans for Job Security to release their funders. Uh, who turn out to be uh, Republican billionaires like Peter Thiel, the DeVos family, Sheldon Adelson, and a bunch of corporations. Uh, They're very happy about this, but these are apparently donations from 2010 through 2012. Almost Mm -hmm. a decade old, Anne Ravel. Is that how our existing laws are actually designed to work, even even when they do? Well, I don't believe that that's how the existing laws should work. I don't believe that that's how they were designed to work because as, as um, happened in the case in California at the FPPC, mm-hmm. it was very clear to me that the whole purpose of providing disclosure of who is behind large sums of money that are poured into campaigns is so that people know how to vote intelligently before the election. And having some a victory this many years <laughs> after what the contribution is better than nothing. Uh, and it establishes a principle, we hope, that will carry forward to require more disclosure. But unfortunately, it does not provide the kind of information that the voters are entitled to get. Uh, I'm speaking with Anne Ravel, former Federal Elections Commission chair. We've got just a few more minutes. Anne, I want to ask you about, um, I told you I got a lot to ask you about, uh, and I want to ask about your campaign as well, but uh, why is Stormy Daniels uh, (laughs) not a bigger thing? I mean, the president, uh, you know, paid hush money to a porn star to keep her quiet about an affair and then did not report the matter as a campaign expense. Shouldn't that have been uh, reported? His his former lawyer, Michael Cohen, is in federal prison for his part in that uh, campaign finance conspiracy that is said to have been directed by Donald Trump. And yet that does not seem to even rate as... Uh, an issue of impeachment, as far as I can tell. Uh, do you right. have any idea why? Well, let me first say, I, I am glad that you're raising this issue. I uh, often say to much laughter that I consider myself an expert in Stormy Daniels. Yeah. And I agree with you completely. I think this is scandalous, and we still don't know where the money came from to go to Michael Cohen's LLC, mm-hmm. which was the vehicle that was used to pay Stormy Daniels on behalf of the president. Mm-hmm. And we know because Cohen admitted in court, and that was part of his uh, his sentencing, yeah. was that he was doing it as a campaign violation without question, so, and it was being done at the behest of the president. Right. So I agree with you. I think this is a really major issue because, frankly, and you ask about sources, uh, 
when I was on the FEC, we had a lot of issues relating to foreign money coming into the campaign, and we off campaigns, others, including what we believed was the Trump campaign, money coming in. And the because of the 3-3 three, three split, there was not a willingness to look at better regulations and better enforcement mm-hmm. of foreign money. But I, it's a it's a central issue, as we know. We've ha- we even have the CIA director saying that 2016 was a dry run for what's going to happen in 2020. We should be really on all these issues to find out the source of the money. Uh, well, even even if the source is Donald Trump, it seems to me you can't uh, pay off a porn star to affect your election and then not report it. At least it it probably seems that way to Michael Cohen also, because he's in jail for it uh, in a conspiracy that was directed by Donald Trump. And that one seems to me to be a very clear, you know, even simpler than the Ukraine issue. And it involves porn stars, which I suspect would get a lot of viewership on TV if they were brought in to testify. Uh, but right. if, if, if the Democrats won't pick it up, if the FEC was not broken, is this something that the, uh, the, the president of the United States could at least be, you know, because there's the idea that a president can't be indicted, I guess, uh, which I think is also a ridiculous matter based on that OLC opinion. But uh, even if the president cannot be indicted, is, can the president be fined at least by the FEC for a violation like this? Or does... The, uh, the the immunity also extend to this as well with the FEC. No, th- no, there is no such immunity. In fact, uh, during the time of when when the uh, Stormy Daniels story had some salience, uh, you might recall that Trump said, "Oh, this is no big deal. It's the same as look at what Obama did." And Obama's campaign had a million dollar fine. And the reason for the fine was because uh, they failed, and it was a, an error, mm-hmm. but they failed to do a 24-hour reporting requirement on time. And that was that, and that's a disclosure issue, and mm-hmm. that um, occasioned the fine. So yes, uh, Trump and his campaign could certainly have been have been. This subjected to a fine. Has this ever been reported at this point, uh, now that it has clearly come out? Uh, do, to your knowledge, has the Trump campaign ever reported these payments to Stormy Daniels? I do not believe they have. <laughs> so even if it was the cool. same as what Barack Obama did, and it wasn't, uh, at least right. Obama was fined. The Trump campaign never was. Uh, and I guess that is, once again, goes back to the, the broken FEC, uh, about which I have many questions, and we're going to have to hold them for another time. I do hope you'll join us in the future uh, to discuss uh, specifically some of the ne- uh, the needed reform uh, at the FEC. But bef- I, I'm happy to. Be- bef- Just let me yeah. add one thing. Sure. You know, what, what um, Obama did was erroneous. It was not a serious and willful violation, right. whereas... Trump's actions were. Yeah, that that was an accident. This one, they clearly hid, which is one of the reasons why I think it's obviously mm-hmm. criminal and certainly impeachable. But I am uh, still stunned and confused as to why Democrats aren't making more of that. It seems 
like a kind of a no-brainer. Uh, before I let you go, and um, I, I want to ask, you've had a, a distinguished career as a non-elected civil servant, so I have to uh, wonder why you are deciding to debase yourself now with an actual run for office. <laughs> Uh, and if you've learned anything uh, so far as a candidate that was not clear to you on the other side of the aisle uh, as the former chair of the uh, of the FEC. Well, um, some of these things I understood, but until you're actually involved in it, you don't understand the extent of it. One of them is the significance of money in politics and how um, all of the uh, uh, regulations, not even regulations, all of the ways that people act in this system mm-hmm. only relate to how much money you have, who gave you the money, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so you can't succeed without that, which I think is really a bad thing. And the other um, thing that I'm learning is that this issue of um, lack of accountability to people to what people need and what people want uh, is not just a federal problem. There is a problem with that in the state of California as well, and that has to do with the importance of special interests. And uh, do you have, uh, is there any chance that uh, if you first win the primary in March, I know it's a a crowded primary, but is there a way forward that you see in California as a state senator to reform some of those concerns that uh, that you see now uh, running as a candidate? Yes, I absolutely do think there is a way forward to reform it. And I particularly think that unless people are, in the legislature who actually believe in having accountability to the public and transparency, that it's not going to happen. But I do believe that there is possibilities, and I already have in my mind lots of, lots of legislation. Happy to discuss it with you. We will uh, we will pick that up next time. Maybe we'll do an FEC reform and a state of California reform uh, conversation because <laughs> there's lots to talk about there. Uh, Anne Ravel, former Federal Elections Commission chair, former chair of the California Fair Political Practices Commission, now Democratic candidate for California State Senate in the uh, Senate District 15, which is the San Jose area. You can find more information on her at Ravel for CA. And, of course, you can uh, find and follow and harass her on the Twitters at Ann M. Ravel. Anne, really appreciate you joining us today, and good luck with both the campaign and staying away from the fires and the blackouts up there. Thank you so much. Great questions. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Okay, let's take a quick break, and we'll come back with, uh, oh, some uh, Rudy Giuliani news. Apologies in advance. To make up for it, we'll end with some Randy Rainbow. So there's that. You can look forward to that. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. (laughs) 
Five major corporations now control more than 80 percent of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Someday we'll find it The rainbow connection We'll find it The lovers, the dreamers, and me We will find the rainbow connection Uh, Welcome back to the Bradcast Brad Friedman from bradblog.com But first, this just in A federal judge has ordered the Justice Department to give the U.S. House secret grand jury testimony from special counsel Robert Mueller's Russia investigation, handing a victory to Democrats who want it for the uh, want that material for the impeachment investigation of Donald Trump. <clears throat> According to AP, the ruling from Chief U.S. District Judge Beryl Howell says that while the DOJ had argued that existing law barred it from sharing the materials with Congress, quote. DOJ is wrong. Uh, She writes, in carrying out the weighty constitutional duty of determining whether impeachment of the president is warranted, Congress need not redo the nearly two years of effort spent on the special counsel's investigation, nor risk being misled by witnesses who may have provided information to the grand jury and the special counsel that varies from what they tell the House Judiciary Committee. Uh, Justice Department lawyers argued at a hearing earlier this month that House Democrats already had sufficient evidence from Mueller's investigation, including copies of summaries of FBI witness interviews. They don't need to hear what these uh, grand jury uh, people actually said under oath without an attorney around. Oh, you people and your transparency. What's the crazy talk? Yeah, I know. The department had also argued that the House panel didn't have a sufficient explanation for how the material would help in the committee's investigation of Trump. Of course, they didn't see the material. So how would they know exactly how it would help? Uh, Also, the DOJ argued that impeachment is not a judicial proceeding under the law for which the information could be disclosed. The uh, federal judge disagreed and has uh, appears to have ordered the release of that grand jury testimony and other undisclosed and redacted materials from Mueller's two year probe. Uh, to be handed over to the U.S. House. No word yet on whether the department will appeal to a higher court, <laughs> but I bet they will. I bet they will. Do you agree, Desi? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I would not be surprised at all because that's the whole reason why they stole the Supreme Court, the Republicans, in the first place. Yeah, why steal a Supreme Court if you can't use it? That yeah, said, uh, in previous uh, situations like this, Nixon v. Uh, U.S., I guess it was, um, that material was, in fact, turned over for the impeachment proceedings. Uh, In the meantime, Rudy Giuliani's uh, problems keep piling up. And this was this from Politico. This was before Rudy's butt dials to an NBC News reporter were released on Friday afternoon in which Rudy (laughs) is heard talking about needing cash in one of them. (laughs) 
and trashing the Bidens in another, which I, I don't think we'll have time to play those, unfortunately, today. But I'm sure the late night shows will have much fun with that. Uh, Politico writes that Rudy's responsibilities appear to be shrinking as Donald Trump's TV-friendly personal attorney. His efforts to dig up dirt on the president's political opponents have landed his highest-profile client in a congressional impeachment investigation. And two of his foreign-born business associates, as we discussed with Ann Ravel, are headed to trial on charges that are part of a broader effort by federal prosecutors now believed to be eyeing Giuliani himself. The scrutiny is not just coming from the previously known probes by FBI agents and the U.S. Attorney's Office based out of Manhattan. According to two people familiar with the investigation, the criminal division of Maine Justice, the Justice Department in D.C., has now taken an interest in the former New York mayor. Uh, meaning an expansion of resources that indicates the politically sensitive probe into the president's personal attorney is both broader and moving at a faster pace than previously understood, at least according to Politico. Adding DOJ's criminal division to Giuliani's probe is sure to place additional scrutiny on William Barr, who, as attorney general, has the final say over all department business, so he could easily kill any of this. Already, Barr's reputation has taken hits over his handling of the public rollout on Robert Mueller's Russia investigation, with the Democrats pointing out that he spun the special counsel's findings earlier this year to give them a pro-Trump flavor. That's putting it nicely. And, of course, as of Thursday night, the news that Barr has allowed the DOJ to open a criminal investigation into the so-called origins or oranges, as Trump calls it, of the initial investigation into the Russian interference and the connections to the Trump campaign back in 2016. Uh, yes, that has now been turned magically into a criminal matter by Bill Barr, the origins of that initial investigation, though uh, nobody seems yet to know exactly what actual crime uh, they could be investigating here. Investigating the, the FBI for doing their job. <laughs> you're you're in a cynical mood today, I aren't am. you, Desi Doyne? Giuliani's troubles aren't just his alone. He has turned members of the Trump team he's worked with over the past 18 months into potential witnesses themselves for federal prosecutors who are trying to unravel the tangled relationships he brought to the mix in advising the president while still juggling an international consulting business that prompted that promised proximity to the White House. Remember, Lev and Igor paid Giuliani some five hundred thousand dollars for whatever services he supposedly provided to them, which at a minimum appear to have been to have helped them gain access to the White House and to Donald Trump himself on multiple occasions. Giuliani, according to Greg Brower, who served as the FBI's top liaison to Congress in 2018 until 2018, quote, appears to be a subject, if not a target of an active investigation. So to have him be a part of the president's legal team would be troublesome, to say the least. Notably, Giuliani was not at the White House earlier this week when his fellow Trump lawyers met with the president for a brief impeachment strategy session. Uh, heeding concerns long vocalized by many of the president's aides and outside allies that Giuliani's media interviews were hurting the president. 
He has made no primetime television network appearances over the past two weeks. Sad. Um, in any event, uh, there are uh, plenty of signals that Giuliani may need to lawyer up himself and may, in fact, be doing so. We talked about it on our previous show just a bit as speculation swirls that he could face charges on everything from violating federal statutes dealing with bribery, foreign lobbying registration and disclosure to make false uh, registration and disclosure to making false statements to government officials. But for now, <clears throat> at least uh, according to remarks during chopper talk on the White House lawn on Friday, <laughs> Donald Trump is not yet ready to throw Rudy under the bus. The president de defended his apparently still personal lawyer, even as these investigations into his associates heat up and into him. As he departed the White House on Friday, Trump said he is not concerned with any potential legal exposure with Giuliani. I don't think so, because I think Rudy is a great gentleman. He's been a great crime fighter. He looks for corruption wherever he goes. Everybody understands Ukraine has big problems in that regard. Rudy Giuliani is a fine man. He was the greatest mayor in the history of New York, and he's been one of the greatest crime fighters and corruption fighters. Rudy Giuliani's a good man. I don't think so. Well, uh, you know who else is is, uh, is standing by Rudy Giuliani? Well, uh, sort of sitting by him and uh, and singing to him. That would be, of course, Randy Rainbow. We are back and joined now by a central figure in the whistleblower complaint as well as in many of my personal nightmares, former mayor and soon-to-be former lawyer of basically former President Donald Trump, human hand grenade Rudy Giuliani. Hey, girl. Oh, I'm glad I'm on tonight because what you just said is totally erroneous. Well, I don't, I don't work here. Um, Mr. <laughs> mayor, you are under intense scrutiny for your efforts to pressure the Ukraine into investigating Joe Biden. Let me tell you what happened, okay? Whatever. What, what happened is that I was investigating this incredible story about Joe Biden that he bribed the president of the Ukraine in order to fire a prosecutor who was investigating his son. Do you have proof of these allegations? Yes, 2018, there is a finding by a court in the Ukraine that a man named Teloshenko, Loshenko, James Franco, something like that. <laughs> he produced a phony affidavit. Speaking of phony, awkward dimwits, let's get back to you. <laughs> Sir, did you ask the Ukraine to look into Joe Biden? No, actually, I didn't. I asked the Ukraine to investigate the allegations that there was interference in the election of 2016. OK, let me um, let me rephrase the question. Did you ask the Ukraine to look into Joe Biden? Of course I did. <laughs> Okay, let's move on. Uh, sir, did you ask the Ukraine to look into Joe Biden? No, I didn't ask him to look into Joe Biden. I asked him to look into the allegations that related to my client, which tangentially involved Joe Biden. Joe Biden's son to get one point five. And because they're Democrats, you won't cover it. I've been listening to you, and of crap you are full. And you want to cover some ridiculous charge. Standing there with your eyes bulging out of your skull. You have no idea how big this is. Look at you now in the center ring of a ring. How you've been yentering with Ukraine. Are you crooked or just insane? Why do you keep selling bull to us? Won't be long before you're under the bus. Whoa. Giuliani, here you 
to Randy Rainbow. You can get more on him at randyrainbow.com, of course, with a uh, a hat tip to ABBA in that case. Oh, indeed. Uh, thank you very much to our producer, Desi Doy, and to my guest today, former FEC chair Anne Ravel, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. Uh, we greatly appreciate it, and we hope we make it worthwhile for you. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, you can download them anytime for free at bradblog.com. And, of course, we thank those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate, where you can make a one-time donation of any amount you like to help us continue what we try to do over your public airwaves every day, day in and day out. And, of course, we greatly appreciate those of you who make a uh, donation, uh, who set up a monthly supportive donation of any amount you like. You can do that also at bradblog.com slash donate. That keeps us going. Thank you. You can drop me email, too, if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, you will find me, like it or not, at the Brad Blog. Hope to see you there. Until we meet again. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Someday we'll find it, the rainbow connection.